You're listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. Hello, listeners. This is the first episode of the Courage or Beauty series for the Heart of the Ark podcast. Recorded for Back to School 2022, this episode took me a little longer to get out the door because, as you will hear, I spoke with four different people with perspectives and insight into addressing healthy mental and spiritual practices. And as we take time to listen to these conversations, I also invite you to listen to the beauty of the meditation that has been composed for us, our theme music by Eric Hunter. This piece of music I will use in different segments to break them up and allow the timestamp, hopefully, if I get all my ducks in a row, we'll have timestamps so you can, listeners, you can come back and listen to these different parts of the conversation at different times, or again and again, you'll be able to find them. Hopefully they'll be in the the show notes. So all of the books that I reference, all of the conversations that we have, if we bring in other things, look in the show notes. If you have any questions, you can email the Office for Evangelization, and I'll try to answer your emails from there. I also have set up a Facebook and a Twitter account. There's nothing on them yet for the Heart of the Ark podcast. But if you want to find us on Facebook and Twitter and be the first one to like us, and eventually we'll figure out how else for you to be better informed as to when the episodes come out. My first guest is Kelly Jenner, licensed professional counselor in the state of New Jersey. First of all, it's my honor to be here, and it's a blessing to be part of this with you. So my name is Kelly Jenner, and I am a licensed professional counselor in the state of New Jersey. I have a lot of college students that are my clients. They start with me in high school, and and they want to keep the relationship going. So we have virtual sessions with them uh, while they're at college just to sort of stay grounded and things like that. I'm very grateful for you to be joining us. And as we address some of these issues, I just want to lift you up in prayer and let you know that we're excited for have you as a part of this. So back to school season, the first question is, what are some good habits to develop to set up a good mental health environment for teachers, students, parents for the school year? Sure. So a lot of these topics that we're talking about, I I work with my clients on a regular basis. So the three... um, sort of categories that I think are important are organization, balance, and self-care. And so under the category of organization, I find that it's important, I think, for students to try to stay somewhat organized. And and it's helpful to do that right out of the gates instead of trying to get organized after the fact. Because once the school year gets going, there's sort of a momentum. And if you're organized right out of the gate, it makes it a lot easier to ride that wave throughout the semester or the school year. I developed a lot of these habits for myself because I have some learning conditions myself. I have dyslexia. I have comprehension issues and attention issues. So the odds were stacked against me growing up. And so I really had to sort of adapt uh, and develop these things for myself. And they really, really, really helped me a lot. What I did was I got notebooks that were color-coded 
and I would always have this certain kind of class, like English, for example, was always the blue notebook. And what I did was try to make this as streamlined as possible because I had so many things working against me in my own mind that to streamline the process mentally was so, so helpful. So because once you get under that feeling of fear or anxiety or low self-esteem, it can really take its toll and make it even harder. And my note-taking, even I have two different color highlighters. And so the main points that I would highlight in my notes as a student were the yellow highlighter. And then there was always a supporting, like the secondary things that were important were always the pink highlighter or whatever. And so when I would glance at my notes, you know, after studying, I would I would go right to the salient points and then the secondary supporting points for that. And it just made it so much more streamlined for me. It kept me calm because there was so much anxiety wrapped around having these things up against me. And then another category is maintaining your balance throughout the year. So for example, I work with clients and I tell them, okay, let's make a pie chart because the students tend to take on a lot more than they can chew, so to speak. And then they find themselves just overwhelmed and anxious and it spins out of control very fast. Let's write down what you do in one particular week. What's important to you that you want to fit into your schedule? So we'll have uh, church and prayer on that list and we'll have classwork, time that you're actually spending in the class. The same amount of hours you're in class would be the same amount you want to study outside of class to do well. If you're involved in athletics or sports, write that down. Any clubs, anytime you want to be social with your friends and exercise, walking, whatever. Okay, so the slices are going to be different size, but keep in mind that it has to add up to 100, 100%. So many times the students will find like, wow, this, this comes to a lot more than 100. No wonder I'm anxious. <laughs> Sounds like in a way you're helping them prioritize yeah. and, and really visualize what's doable and what's outside of the doable. <laughs> exactly. When they okay. see in the visual, it really helps, you know, get a clear picture of, wow, I'm really overdoing this here. No wonder I'm anxious. And then the third category is maintaining self-care. We hear this word self-care often, some practice that calms you from the anxiety outside. Eating healthy, diet or you know because sometimes your vitamin d is low or whatever check with your doctor drinking enough water going for walks you know relaxation techniques deep breathing techniques which i teach my clients added sleep to that because sleep hygiene is is just as important as any of these other things for mental health and staying calm because when sleep is out of whack it can really affect your functioning during your waking hours <laughs> going to bed at a, a decent time and getting you know between seven and nine hours of sleep could you explain the difference between normal back to school nerves and when there's some signs to look out for if someone really does need more help or is in need of talking to someone who is more qualified in that sure. way? So keep in mind that no one is exempt from feeling these things. I feel these things, you know, feeling anxiety. It can be part of life because there's a lot going on out there, but, you know, trying to not let it spin out of control is important. You start to notice that it's interfering with your functioning relationships or, you know what I mean? Your mood. It's like, that's when you know, well, this is going, this is going a little further. And I, I do need to get some help outside the things that I maybe just mentioned here. <laughs> We are having more conversations. The world is seeming to be a little bit more social interaction, which we've all needed. So 
we're out of practice. And so what are the basics of good conversation, how to, especially this is for parents and teachers when they're trying to get behind what's going on with somebody, either who's a student or your own child or a friend or coworker who seems to be dealing with more than they're saying. What are the basics of good conversation and, and how can we ask questions with compassion and boundaries? Absolutely. Important topic. When asking questions, just be tentative about how you ask a question. So in my training, before you ask a client a question, ask yourself, is this question coming from a place of helping the client get to their goal? Just being tentative about where am I coming from when I ask people questions and being respectful, being aware of myself and aware of the other person, like know your audience and feeling them out, you know, tentatively and respectfully and, and understanding what that would feel like if somebody asked me that question, you know, is that a, is that a boundary violation? How well do I know this person? For all of us, because we are out of the practice of small talk and compassion in what we do and the curiosity in a good and and life-giving way instead of in, in any way that could make someone feel like we can be careless we unfortunately stumble into them at times. Sure, exactly. And I'm glad you said that because I want to make it clear that there's nothing wrong with curiosity. That's how we learn about people. But, you know, you know, to just, where am I coming from? When in conversation with somebody, there's a social anxiety there when we're talking to people. And so we're, we're so worried about, will I say the right thing back? So when the other person is talking or responding to the question, one person there's a there's a tendency to be anxious and to be worried about what am i going to say back so much so that when it comes time to respond you don't even know what to say back focus on what they're saying and you will always know how to respond naturally if you're truly listening because then when you when you say something back it's going to make sense and it's going to volley off of what they were just saying and so, you know, what, what is also helpful is when you do respond, reflect back to the person that, that they've been hurt. So you're going to respond with something that acknowledges what they just said to what they just said. Now, when you're acknowledging what somebody has just said, you don't have to like what they're saying. And you- Thank you. That's important. In a, it seems like in a, in a mic drop sort of a world to remind people that, that you at least acknowledge that there's alternating viewpoints, (laughs) that those two things can exist and, and you decide whether or not, I mean, there are conversations that you don't want to continue, or, you know, maybe this is just not the place for us to discuss this, or we're not in both at the same place. There's this beautiful place called assertive and I win, you win, because I got my needs met, but I was respectful of you at the same time. And it's called assertive. So when somebody's crossed your boundary and you feel disrespected or whatever, um, there's, the ba- there's the boundary setting. It's, a, it's an art, <laughs> I think. And it's something I've, it's taken me many years to practice and I still need some work with it, but I'm very aware that I need to do it. So Sometimes you can just be really subtle with your boundary setting. And sometimes people don't respect your boundaries. But if you need to set the boundary, be assertive. And like I said, it's a win-win because I got my needs met and I was respectful of you at the same time. And if that doesn't work, then you just 
send them on their way. You release them into the world. <laughs> I like to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go in We can control what they do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. How do you identify and build a network of friends or colleagues at work or others in your circle that are supportive of your best interests? Mm, excellent question. I would recommend putting yourself in, a, in environments that are conducive to meeting people who are like mine. Take those classes and you're going to find yourself sitting around people probably who are really interested in similar things. Joining clubs or groups at school that you are really interested in, same thing. You want to just sort of put yourself exposed to people that are more, that have things in common with you. But then now here's the thing, take that one step deeper. So now that you're in these environments, it doesn't mean that everybody there is going to be a good fit for you within that environment. So going back to the Christian counseling side of this, and it's something I use for myself, and that this doesn't just have to be for a student, it could be for absolutely any human being, is, and I pray this every day, God, please shine your grace upon me so that I have discernment without having that discernment to know, to stay in touch with the Holy Spirit who is living inside of you, how are you going to know? Because sometimes people can smile and um, not have your best interest at heart. So that discernment is critical. And, and some people refer to it as, oh, my gut is telling me, my intuition is telling me, I just have the feeling that is off when I'm around a certain person. Pay attention to that. They might not be on the same path as you, these groups of people who are like-minded, you, you find the ones that really are going to help you flourish on your path. Pay attention to that. And my mom always uh, taught me to listen yep. to the little voice inside. Yep. Uh, and as I started to develop like this awareness of how to listen has completely changed, well, the path of my life. I completely understand. I have been there myself. I mean, I always believed in God. I was always, you know, I was raised Catholic and I didn't have the closest relationship. I was doing my own thing. And so when I would get that nudge inside of me, but I still wanted to do whatever that thing was, I was like, I wanted to have fun. And I thought that not doing X, Y, and Z was like, oh, well, that's boring. I want to, I want to have fun, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with having fun. It's just that what I realized in the long run after falling on my face, <laughs> you know, in life a handful of times is that. God puts those nudges inside of you to protect you, not because he doesn't want you to have fun. He wants you to enjoy your life and be blessed and joyful and peaceful. But, you know, those, those parameters are there to protect us. And I found that out, not in a book, but by going outside of those parameters enough times in my life to realize, oh, that's why those are there. <laughs> right. So yeah, I get it. I totally get it. So many people buck against some conception of the rules and oh, that's, it's like an external thing. And they don't see that the freedom comes the rule book. Fine. It's you got to have a rule book to play baseball, but yeah. the joy of playing baseball, the game's so much better when there's rules, right? It's yeah. the same thing with life. You set a great set of rules up and you play within the parameters and the freedom of what can be is so greater than trying to throw the rule book out and just do a home run derby or something. I don't know. I can't actually no, support exactly a baseball metaphor. I know what you mean. Long. You're sort of, you're out there flailing around willy nilly, you know what right. I mean? But yeah, with the parameters and um, understanding like the, the guidelines and learning them and practicing, 
then that's like what you're saying. You can have so much more fun within that. Well, yeah, because it takes away a lot of that anxiety, right? It gets back to the organization of life, right? We're oriented in a certain spiritual way. So if we're taken in that organization, then it helps relieve a lot of the anxiety of just the rest of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough for speaking to me today. I would love to have you speak to me again, if you're willing to, but That's thank fine. thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. And I would love to meet you in real life and buy you coffee. Yes, likewise. Okay. And it's, oh. it's an honor and a blessing to not only do this work, but, but to collaborate with you in it. Thank, so thank you, you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And God bless you. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Kelly will be working with the Office for Family Life Ministry that is addressing the mental health issues within our communities in a number of new initiatives. So very briefly, my colleague Brian Caldwell joins me to give us a look into what those initiatives are. I'm the director of the Office for Family Life Ministry. Um, we're part of the Secretariat for Parish Mission and Vitality here in the Archdiocese. And some of the new initiatives that we have as we kind of continue to work our way through the pandemic and try to recognize the pastoral needs that are affecting folks perhaps differently than they were before is to find ways to help parishes help their parishioners who may be struggling with their mental health during this time. So we have two programs that are running currently. The first series of sessions that we've held for parishes is Sanctuary, and we had a cohort of about 70 folks who took that six-session course. And we are about to start the second round for whomever wishes to sign up. But we also have another initiative called Mental Illness with Grace. And really the goal here is awareness, acceptance, and accompaniment for those who might be struggling. It's not therapy. It's nothing clinical. It's simply spiritual support and accompaniment in difficult times. So that the first round of those courses is being undertaken right now. And we'll kind of see the responses that we get from folks in different parishes and kind of see where to go from there. Some of the other things that we have going on, we have a bereavement ministry that's offered in parishes that we have trainings for three times a year. Uh, those are just sort of keep on going. And we're also looking into ministries for folks who are caregivers and need support and also for folks struggling with addiction. And again, these aren't clinical. This is not therapy. Uh, it's simply spiritual accompaniment to try to walk with folks in a difficult time. And that's really why we've been expanding all of these pastoral initiatives in as many churches as we can throughout the archdiocese. That's really wonderful to hear on all of the fronts that you are, are recognizing and addressing that these are needs in our community. What is your hope for these ministries as you build them in the archdiocese in terms of the community? Well, hopefully they can serve as a, a source of support. You know, as folks are making their way back to church, there's been a lot of confusing and, and difficult things to deal with. You know, do we look at bereavement and grief as one particular example? Uh, through the pandemic, we've added this whole new dimension of isolation. 
And that's really sort of affected the way that people are kind of working through their grief. So in trying to address how these needs are currently being experienced by different people, we're trying to keep everything as current as we can so that we can simply support mental health and well-being and help everyone to be whole. You know, that's really sort of the goal with these programs. Thank you so much, Brian, for taking some time to talk to me today. God bless you. You're always in my prayers. Thanks, Jen. Same here. Good to be with you. Thanks. And then the second half of this episode, we'll be digging into a topic that has come to my attention from reading two relatively new books, both by Dr. Lisa Miller. She's a professor in the clinical psychology program at Teachers College, Columbia University. Both of her books offer Dr. Miller's own and her colleagues from around the world's research into the emerging science regarding our baked-in human need for and biological wellness that is contingent upon having a spiritual awareness and a spiritual life. I discuss the how-tos of spirituality in a Catholic sense with my colleague, Melissa Else. So I'm here with my friend and colleague, Melissa Else. Melissa, tell me about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you for sitting down and having this conversation this morning. So I am your colleague here at the Archdiocesan Pastoral Center. I guess my official title is that I'm Assistant Coordinator for Parish Strategies. I work with our Chancellor, have a a wonderful opportunity to be out and about with her in parishes, helping pastors and parish pastoral councils. But over the course of the last year, we've been very busy and very focused on the diocesan synod consultation here within the archdiocese and doing listening sessions and discernment. In my conversation with Kelly Jenner, we talked about conversation and we talked about discernment. And so that discernment process of how you ground yourself spiritually and how it informs the rest of your life. What does spirituality or cultivating a spiritual practice mean in your life? That's such a great question. And I think I'd start in my answer first by defining what spirituality means, because today it seems like spirituality or people say I'm spiritual. That's kind of a trendy thing. This idea that spirituality, it's really about a way of being and more particularly about a way of relating to God. So God is present in our lives. And then how do we respond to that presence? What are those activities or things that we do in our daily living? So for me, that's spirituality. And therefore, I have certain practices or certain approaches to life that I do that kind of help me in the daily living in a corporate way, if you will, as a church As people of God, we do that within parish life or within the structure of our local parish community. But there's things there that also translate over into my everyday life. And you're using corporate as in like corpus, the body. Yes. Not the corporate corporation idea that we have. But even even just the structure of the church, realizing that there is a a structure to the church, a, a local structure of parish and then an archdiocesan structure and and on and on all the way to Rome. 
So, so some of those practices, as you had mentioned earlier about discernment, we undertake that within parish life. We also undertake those types of processes within our diocese together, multiple parishes and deaneries coming together. And then uh, now Pope Francis is calling us as a global church within this particular synod to undertake a process of discernment. When we talk about prayer, people have their favorite devotions, right? The rosary or the Divine Mercy Chaplet or these ideas of recitation of prayers. But before we enter into types of formal prayer, how do you suggest someone even begin to pray? When we hear the word prayer, oftentimes we first think about those formal types of prayer or written prayer that perhaps we've memorized from childhood and religious education classes. As an adult, it's so helpful for me to take a much broader understanding of prayer and to think about prayer more as a conversation. I speak to God and God speaks to me and I listen. In that way, in my everyday life, then I find perhaps a simple way might first begin with creating a space of silence. You and I often talk, we have kids and we have busy lives and we're running around with the kids and it can get really hectic taking kids to sports or different activities and working at the same time. And there's lots of distractions in the world, noise, if you will, right? Not just TV and radio, but the cell phone now is always with us and social media and just always very present. So to really be able to create a space of quiet, I almost find when I can do that, when I can create that quiet, and for me, I like to do it early in the morning because the rest of the house isn't up. Sometimes the dog isn't even up. (laughs) So that allows me that time to just kind of sit and contemplate and be quiet and then enter into prayer. So I think for folks, especially if they're not in the habit of prayer, that might first be a good place to start. It really shapes the rest of my day, my focus, my energy, all of that. I seem to be in a much better place than to tackle whatever challenge then comes along during the day. We've spoken about this, but the research that's coming out now, especially in brain and cognitive sciences and also educational research, there's imaging technology and there's biological indicators that when we have a spiritual life, that we're protected in a way and a spiritual life, which God being a guide, a loving force in our lives and always accepting who we are. So loving, accepting and a guide. It actually makes portions of your brain thicker. It builds resilience under stress. There's so many benefits to even the way our biology works. It's baked in that we have this relationship. The research is also showing that there's significant and measurable differences in the way that children are less susceptible to the dangers out there. Drugs, alcohol abuse, negative sexual interactions throughout their lives and episodes of deep depression that lead to suicide. Now, a spiritual life is not a cure-all, but it also does 
build resiliency for even when we're in those dark places to know that there's hope out there. So we become less likely to make drastic decisions that are life altering. So I love that you brought up the science and the research and and the fact that that actually mirrors faith and spiritual practices like prayer in our day-to-day lives. We all recognize we need sleep at night. And so that's about taking care of ourselves and giving ourselves that time uh, that we need to become rejuvenated from the day. And so prayer or the practice is the way that I start my day, creating that space of silence helps me to continue to do that, to build up the energy, the focus, prepare for the day. And as you said, to be resilient, because we all have challenges that will come across either with family or in work. So the ideas and principles in Ignatian spirituality I think that there's a particular depth, a complexity, richness in that spirituality that St. Ignatius of Loyola offered us, ancient practice of reflection. And I like it while it is the Jesuits who practice, obviously, that spirituality. It's a very deep and rich experience for them. But I like it because I think that we can take the fundamental pieces of Ignatian spirituality and we can start very simply and then we can build upon that foundation. So I think for me as a lay woman, as a mother and a wife and a working woman, that's really helpful to think about that. I met a guy once, we had a conversation about spirituality and he was also fond of using the Ignatian practice in particular, a daily examine, but he really adapted it and his kind of ideas stuck with me. He said on his way home from work, He would sit in traffic because, of course, this is North Jersey, and he would think through the day and he would just kind of ask himself, so how did that go? A recognition of those key moments during the day that were challenging or those moments when he had to make a big decision at work in a prayerful way, then thought about where was God in those moments And how was I in those moments, a reflection, a mindfulness about his own actions and then ways, given the gospel values, ways that he could sort of improve or grow in his life. And I love that. There's a Jesuit named Dennis Ham. He's a scripture professor from Crichton University. And as he talked about the daily exam and our nation spirituality, he used these words. He said, it's like rummaging for God. And I just love that. Where was God in my life, either in an individual that I met during the course of the day or in an experience or in a challenging moment? God is certainly always present, but sometimes we're rushing around and we don't see God or we don't hear God. Clearly, we're not so attuned to that. So this type of prayer exercise allows me to rummage for God and then to take it a step further and say, okay, God certainly wants me to I'll borrow from Matthew Kelly for a moment, but to be the best version of myself. He's given me amazing gifts and talents. 
And how do I offer those gifts and talents and service to him? In what way do I live my life? And the examine or a simplified sort of version of that helps me to take a look at my day, my activity, and then to see where can I grow? What can I do differently? What can I do better? And it also helps me to discern We make a lot of decisions during the course of the day, right in the beginning when we get up. Do I eat breakfast? Do I not eat breakfast? What am I going to wear today? Lots of little decisions, but there are also very significant decisions that we, we probably participate in every week. I had an experience last week when the relics of Padre Pio came to the cathedral my office looks out on the parking lot where everybody parks. So I knew that the first day the line was going to be huge. So I didn't even go. One of our colleagues said, would you like to go over on our lunch break tomorrow together? So we went over to the cathedral on the second day and there was a lot less pilgrims there. And we got very close to the relics quickly. There were only three ladies in front of me and we were going to go up together. I asked him, do you mind? And he said, no, we're just going to say some silent prayers together. And it's our lunch break. We've got a lot of things on the desk. There's only three people, but it wasn't moving. And there was a woman behind us who came up and started kind of grousing about how long the people in front of us were taking. And I started to feel my own anxiety rise. I started to take a deep breath and think, okay, God, where are you in this? And I opened my eyes and it was like the Holy Spirit showed me that the woman who was taking more time than the woman behind me thought she should It was almost as if all of her cares were on display for me. And I just turned to my colleague and I said, some people just carry such heavy burdens. And he looked at me and said, yeah, they really do. That was the exchange. But for me, that was allowing God to say, Jen, it's really not about you. Get out of your way. Let me do what I'm supposed to do here with this person and love her in that moment. Okay, let the anxiety go. It was like a movie shot. The person grumbling behind me is like my own inner voice saying like, oh, what's taking her so long? And yet in front of me was the the opportunity to allow God to say, just be be grateful that your burdens aren't the same as this, you know, without pity, without judgment, just be open to people who are carrying this much of a load. I love in in that particular sharing, you said you kind of took a deep breath. I think that's a great part of that practice. So it's not just the silence, but I also sometimes start with a process of sort of deep breathing because that sort of lets us let things go. In particular, as you exhale, you kind of let go of some of those attachments or those feelings. And again, it's about creating a space where God can enter in and where I can begin to hear him. Because as I said, oftentimes the world is noisy and I don't hear him or I don't see him. And he's, of course, he's present there in my journey all the time. But I let other things get in the way. So the silence, but also that breathing. And that might be a simple way to start. Just a little silence, just a little breathing just a space for a few minutes. Don't think, oh, I got to be quiet for 30 minutes. How am I going to do that? More particularly about, okay, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes. And what I found is that one or two minutes grew to five minutes, grew to 10 minutes. 
in the beginning, I think it was because I'm busy work and kids and all of that stuff. So to start slowly, I ultimately find that when I can create that space, a significant space, the rest of my day actually seems to go more smoothly. There's that science piece of it, right? There's a particular type of mindfulness of what's going on, uh, being attuned to other people, recognizing and putting a priority on relationships and my encounter with other individuals, but also how I accompany other individuals during the day. How do you just open yourself up in a way that is supportive and allows people the space to have a spiritual conversation? That's a great question. And I think sometimes it can be intimidating for us to think about that, having a spiritual conversation with somebody or talking to somebody else about faith. But it's really actually very easy because I find it's more about the listening than it is about finding necessarily the words to say. So it's about really opening our hearts up Part of my ongoing prayer practice is always to invite the spirit to break open my heart and to fill my heart with with God's love and God's patience to inspire my mind to think in new ways about the situations and the encounters or the task in front of me. And then to help fill my words, that my words might be God's words of loving compassion. And it's more of an attitude or perspective that I try to practice. Again, it flows from my prayer experience, thinking about how do I practice that discipline with God, that conversation of talking, but then also silence and listening and becoming more attuned that maybe God places me in a particular place at a particular time so that I would encounter somebody and that I would maybe listen to them and just be present to them. Our world today talks a lot about things like mindfulness and being present to others. I think that those are important, but I view all of that through the lens of my faith. I I do that because I think that's what God's calling us to be present and to journey with one another in faith. So I've been able to have amazing encounters with individuals, finding myself in situations. Our son plays baseball and I found myself sitting on the bench watching him last spring play baseball. Someone that I really didn't know well at all. And I just said a few nice words about the great weather. And before we knew it, we were in a conversation and I did a whole lot more just listening and being present to that individual. I think there's so many people in the world who are searching or people with very heavy burdens. And what a blessing that I could just be present in that particular moment. But I first have to be open to that. And I think people sense that you're traveling with the spirit. People recognize that and it's easier to have those conversations. One of the things that is interesting to me as you're speaking, you started with the Holy Spirit and then you said the word inspire. And then before you were speaking about deep breathing, respiring, respiration, 
And all these words have spirit in them. We're built for the Holy Spirit. Breathe on me, O breath of God. And then breathe out inspiration to others. Mm -hmm. So I think really recognizing that, like you said, finding the silence and the time to allow God to be with us so that we can be with others. One of the things that you just mentioned that I love, actually, I don't know Hebrew, but I've read this before, and I think it's a, such a beautiful connection that the word for spirit in, in Hebrew really means breath. Ruach. And, right. And there's this sense of movement. I love that idea because either with the breath or that sense of, of wind, right? Wind is always around us. Wind can sort of engulf you. And it touches every part of your being. So to think of the spirit traveling in that way, that active part of God out in the world, I think is a beautiful way to think about that and and to invite that spirit then to journey with me. Well, thank you very much for this conversation. And I look forward to continuing our spiritual conversations at the coffee pot or wherever else. The episode ends with a reading and prayer service with Father Stephen Fichter, the newly appointed vicar for schools in the Archdiocese of Newark, where he offers a blessing for students, teachers, parents, and catechists for a fruitful school year. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Brothers and sisters, listen to the words of the book of Sirach. If you wish, you can be taught. If you apply yourself, you will be shrewd. If you are willing to listen, you will learn. If you give heed, you will be wise. Frequent the company of the elders. Whoever is wise, stay close to him. Be eager to hear every godly discourse. Let no wise saying escape you. If you see a man of prudence, seek him out. Let your feet wear away his doorstep. Reflect on the precepts of the Lord. Let his commandments be your constant meditation. Then he will enlighten your mind and the wisdom you desire will be great. Let us pray. Lord, our God, in your wisdom and love, you surround us with the mysteries of the universe. In times long past, you sent us your prophets to teach your laws and to bear witness to your undying love. You sent us your Son to teach us by word and example that true wisdom comes from you alone. Send your spirit upon these students and their teachers and fill them with your wisdom and blessings. Grant that during this academic year, they may devote themselves to their studies and share what they have learned from others. Grant this through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Part of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at heartofthearc.fireside.fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric, E-R-I-C, Hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, music.com. This has been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future.